You're listening to the Tapis Paranormal Talking Point Podcast, a show that discusses various aspects of the paranormal world, with paranormal news, ghost stories, interviews, and much more. And without further ado, let's get into some talking points. Hi guys, Scott here from Tapis Paranormal, and welcome back to another episode of the Tapis Paranormal Talking Point Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jules Nolan, who's also known online as the Hex Baby. Jules is a practicing Irish pagan, as well as a professional tarot card reader. She's also incredibly well-versed in both vampire and paranormal history, as well as being a paranormal enthusiast. I recently had this opportunity to sit down with Jules and talk about some interesting points from vampire history, as well as her paranormal life, what sparked her interest in the paranormal, as well as her relationship with the occult collector Calvin Von Crush, and what it's like living in the same house as his vast occult collection. So sit back and I hope you enjoy this interview. So thanks for joining me, Jules. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I just want to talk you through a couple of questions, get your thoughts, views. Um, Do you want to start off by sort of introducing yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, So my name is Jules Nolan. I am a Irish pagan practitioner. I have been working in the paranormal about a decade at this point, um, give or take. And I do vampire history, um, paranormal history, things of that nature, kind of dabble in everything. (laughs) So I want to start off with a relatively sort of easy question, which is what are your paranormal beliefs? My paranormal beliefs kind of are on a spectrum. It, de- it depends on the topic we're speaking of. If we're speaking about ghosts and things like that, um, I do believe that there, there is a possibility that that is real. Um, if we're talking cryptids, I'm more inclined to lean on the skeptic side of things, obviously. Cool. So what's your sort of earliest memory of the occult and the paranormal? Oh, that's a great question. I would say as early as six, seven years old, uh, my great grandmother is still with us. And my great grandfather passed away back in 2002. And she was adamant that he was in the house and still doing things in the house. And there was one time I was staying the night and I swear to you, I saw something that was very bizarre. Um, So I would say, you know, under 10 would be the first time I ever experienced something like that. Okay. And I take it, obviously, you'd say that stemmed your interest in the paranormal? I'm inclined to say that that is definitely where it would have started, yes. Cool. Um, And obviously, other than the stories there, have you been told any sort of other paranormal stories by friends, family, or experiences you've had yourself that you'd like to share? Sure. Um, You know, one of my best friends, her name is Becky Ann Galantine. She had an experience that really stuck with me. Um, she, She saw a what may have been ball lightning, but the way it moved wasn't how ball lightning is described. But she saw this blue orb manifest in front of her. And she said it just felt spiritual and paranormal. And I've always just kind of been struck by that, you know, just, wow, how bizarre. Cool. So what would you say are some of your favorite elements of the paranormal and the supernatural? Hmm. I would say 
I think um, divination would be one of my favorite things. Um, I am a full-time tarot reader, so obviously I'm a little biased, uh, but divination, uh, attempting to do spirit communication um, in different means of that. Um, I also just, I really like, um, I don't know, I just really like the history aspect of it, hearing tales from the past and kind of tying that into modern day. I think that would be my favorite. Okay. Um, so divination, what sort mm -hmm. of methods of divination are your sort of favorite? Obviously, tarot is high on your list, I assume. Yeah, it would be. It would definitely be up there. <laughs> yeah, I would say probably tarot would be up there. Um, my great grandma, uh, she was also a uh, tassiomancer. She did teacup divination with tea leaves. So that's definitely up there. Um, and then oum is up there. It's the ancient uh, Irish method of um you know, throwing bones or sticks carved with runes on it, um, very similar to kind of like Nordic runes. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say that would be like my top three, just very fascinated by those. Okay. Um, how did you get into tarot? Great question. Um, well, it kind of started, I would say I was a young teen. I have a cousin who is a tarot reader. He's a drag queen and a tarot reader. Um, so it just was always kind of there. It was very interesting and, you know, kind of over the top. And um, they always said, you know, a deck will call to you one day when, you know, if if you're meant to read. And a deck came into my hands back in, I would say, 2011. And I've been using it ever since. Cool. Um so obviously in tarot readings, what are yeah. your sort of beliefs around tarot? You know, to what sort of extent do you think it works? What do you think it actually predicts? You know, what are your personal tarot beliefs? Okay, um, I would love to talk about this. So I do believe that tarot to a certain extent kind of plays upon your subconscious so a lot of the times um whether or not it's confirmation bias we would have to look into it you know like what's the psychology behind it um but when i'm re reading for a client i always tell them tarot is subjective it can always change because the future is not concrete um you know we're not doing spirit communication or anything like that we're just opening a window and peeking through and we're seeing what is going on in this present moment um so i i don't think that you can really tell too far into the future because of how often things change um so i usually let clients know that okay um so obviously you're interested in the paranormal uh ghosts and that sort of thing as well um are there any sort of locations from around the world that really draw you in or that really you know interest you yeah um i would say specifically um Oh my gosh, what is that house called out in California? Um, oh, what is her name? Is it the Winchester There's house? A house? The Winchester Mystery House, yes. We have a lot of artifacts and things like that here in our house from it. And I've just never had the pleasure to even stand outside of it. And the story fascinates me because it ties into uh, grief, psychology, um, you know, dealing with loss. And I I'm just so fascinated by... I guess just the psychology tied to the paranormal in that case and it's always drawn me into it cool obviously with that case well there's the seances and all of the sort of mediumship oh, yeah. and that sort of thing so i think there's a lot of different elements in that case specifically that all sort of tie together nicely around that house uh, yes cool um would you say that there are other non-paranormal or non-ghost paranormal uh, entities that you believe in or that you have strong thoughts and views on? 
Well, yes, I would say vampires would be, you know, just that topic, um, you know, anything where there is like a life draining apparition. I'm, I'm very fascinated in it, um, especially because a lot of cultures believe in blood being your life force and, you know, like your soul being part of you. Um, so the, the concept of there being a, a being per se that can drain that from you is very fascinating to me. Cool. And where would you say your interest in vampires began? Well, I would say probably because of Bela Lugosi's Dracula when I was a child. Um, obviously, that's a bit more of a romantic, you know, idealization of a vampire. Um, but it started with media and then it turned into an interest in actual cases from New England because, you know, I grew up in New York, so it's very close to home. Um, and then from there, I just started doing research on what is a vampire and what would constitute it in other cultures. And it just, it became a whole big fascination. <laughs> um, what do you think a vampire is? You know, what are your beliefs around vampires? Do you believe in vampires? You know, that sort of thing. Um, well, I would say, based off of a collective of mythology from around the world, a lot of people believe that it, a vampire is usually created from trauma or something like that, um, where the soul of the deceased person is not at rest and therefore has to claim the life force of another person to sustain itself. Um, do I believe it's possible? I don't know at this point. You know, people say they see Bigfoot. So it's very possible that, that this could be a thing. Um, I romanticize the idea of it. But um, as of right now, I have not encountered anything in my in my uh, searching. So cool. Um, what what category would you sort of put vampires into under the account? Would you class them as a cryptid or would they be something else on their own? You know, I've. I've been pondering that idea because I feel like cryptids fall into like zoology, if you will. Um, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to see a vampire at um, a zoo <laughs> behind behind bars. Um, I would say they probably fall under the um, even like egregore, um, you know, where there's like a like a huge belief in something and it becomes real. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe that category, um, you know, classic demons in Christianity, like the, under that spectrum, I would say they would fall. I guess, yeah, I guess they do have a lot of similarities to demons and demonic entities and that sort of, I guess that vantage point, there's, you know, the draining of life force and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favourite vampire stories and cases from around the world? Oh, here we go. Okay, so um, there are two very close to home. We have Mercy Brown, obviously, in Rhode Island. Um, that took place in the 1890s. Um, it was a post-mortem vampire case, so she was accused after she had passed away. Um, the Jewett City vampires uh, back in, I believe it was the 1840s into the 1850s in Connecticut. Um, the Ray family was just plagued with tuberculosis and it unfortunately took out the whole family and they believe they were vampires so um my interest in post-mortem vampires kind of ends there in new england and then my interest in vampires where it's cases that they're seeing people walking around and doing things um kind of starts back up in southern america so new orleans um there's the case of the two brothers back in the 1930s that were 
allegedly um, exsanguinating people <laughs> in their apartment. Um, there, um, what is it, the Wan Shi, I believe, in China. Um, that's another case of kind of like a spirit that they've seen walking around taking people's life. So I, I kind of find it more interesting when there are accounts of seeing someone walking around as opposed to a medical explanation, mm -hmm. you know, the case. So um, I, 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 all over the world, there are very fascinating cases um, that can be explained either with medical stuff or, um, I don't know, superstition and folklore. So what would you say is your favorite sort of vampiric entity, I guess, from around the world? Do you have like a specific favorite that you focus in on? I'm, again, I'm biased because my family's from Ireland. Um, the Abertach that was, whether or not it would be considered a vampire by our standards, I can't say, but um, it, it is considered a vampire in Ireland. Um, the story goes that a evil dwarven tyrant king um, was as essentially assassinated by uh, the people of the, the parish that it was in. This took place in Londonderry. Um, and the tale goes that he was uh, unalived two nights in a row and came back both times because he had evil magic in him. And, um, you know, they had to hire... I believe it was um, like a druid from another parish to come and unalive him. And he buried him upside down, planted a yew tree over him. And apparently the tree is still there in Londonderry. So it's just very fascinating. <laughs> that's one I of mean, my favorites. That's pretty cool. Again, visiting that tree would be pretty cool. It would be so cool. I agree. <laughs> um, so are you familiar with my, probably my favorite vampire case, which is the Highgate Vampire? Oh, yeah. I think that started in 1968 and went through the 70s, right? Yeah. What are, your oh, yeah. what are your thoughts on that sort of specific case? Well, I think it goes both. It goes two ways, okay? The sightings could be legitimate, obviously. They had been seeing like a gray, pale person apparition um, around the cemetery. Um, I also think it's kind of comical that there were two vampire hunters, essentially, at a rivalry um, during this time. So, um whether or not it's, I don't know, there is just vitriol between the community and they needed a reason to sat satiate their uh, satanic panic during the 70s, I can't say. But um, I do I do think it's very fascinating. And it kind of goes along with um, the folklore from like the 1800s and 1700s in England. So, you know, it's exciting to say the least. Cool. Um, one thing that I've sort of seen I did do a bit of research into sort of vampire lore ahead of this just to, you know, obviously I'm not on a similar level to you, but just to try and have no, a bit of understanding. Yeah, um, yeah. I saw quite a lot of mention of, I think specifically England and Europe, uh, mm -hmm. the sort of cages that were put over burial sites and you yeah. know, cemeteries, and a lot of reference to those potentially being used as to stop the undead or, you know, the dead from rising. Sure. What are your thoughts on that as an idea and as a concept? I, if we take a step back, I love the idea that there is this romanticized notion of, oh, we must cage, you know, the deceased so that they can't crawl from their graves. Um, I think in reality, 
if, if we're just looking at history, um, more than likely this was done because the graves were shallow and they didn't want obviously animals to get into it or anything of that nature. Um, you know, more so in Eastern Europe, I would say they'd have to worry about larger animals. I don't think that the wolves of England are coming to drag people away, but um, I do know that there's cases of it in um, in New England, upstate New York, where they have cage graves, um, and they do say that it was obviously for protection from animals. Um, who knows though? Maybe that's a cover up. We don't know. <laughs> I do like I do like the idea that it was a you know back in the day it was a there's a concern this might happen, so just in case, let's put a cage over the top. <laughs> just in case, yeah. Um, so moving back away from vampires a little bit and back onto the yeah. sort of spirits and ghosts. Sure. Um, do, you, do you do a lot of investigation yourself? Yeah. Um, so again, just obviously throwing her name in there, uh, I do investigations with my friend Becky. Um, we've done quite a few. We've gone like all over the country at this point to do things. And we've had some very profound experiences. Um, some things that will, you know, make you teeter more on the spectrum of belief. You know, I try not to go into these things just like, oh, something's gonna happen. But um, I do find that when you're with people that you know and you're comfortable with when you investigate, usually you do have some kind of profound experience. Um, and I would say within the year of 2022, I had two very profound experiences. <laughs> Would you like to share them? Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, um, there is a case of um, essentially two children went missing out in the Alleghenies um, in Pennsylvania. The case is called the Lost Children of the Alleghenies. Um, these children were found deceased. Um, and people really haven't gone out there since the case was solved to try to investigate or speak to them. Um, I went out there with Becky. I didn't really know too much about the case. I don't really like to go in with too much bias. I feel like that'll influence the answers, obviously. And uh, when I tell you, we were getting information, we did the Estes method, so where one of us goes under and we're listening. Um, we were getting answers where it was just bizarre and it kind of talked into the theory of how they passed away um one of you could hear almost like a child's voice saying my ankle my shoe my shoe um and the one child didn't was missing a shoe and they had a broken ankle so we it's believed that they unfortunately passed away due to the elements and not because of murder you know mm -hmm. um so that was striking definitely moved me to tears a little bit um i would say uh, the second time that we had kind of a profound experience was actually in our museum's basement. We had never done an investigation before down there. Um, we were always kind of like, oh, whatever, it's nothing. Um, we started telling jokes, you know, to just lighten the mood a little bit. Um, and we were saying, you know, if there's somebody down here, um, we're going to tell you a joke. We told the joke and we got a very clear ha 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 on the <laughs> machine. And we were just like, how could this how could this happen this is so ironic so um i would say those were just two of the more unexplainable instances recently cool so for those that don't know obviously your fiance is the occult collector um he is the occult. i have just interviewed um yeah <laughs> so calvin mentioned that nothing in his view nothing has happened in the basement in the museum um sure where do you stand on that 
you know, Calvin is a skeptic through mm -hmm. and through. And um, I, I have been down there with other people and he has been down there as well. And, you know, they don't know the story of some of the things down there. Um, and they have experiences um, that align with things that have happened to us before. Uh, we always say that there's a ghost cat down there and we'll have people over and they'll be like, is there a cat down here? I just felt something brush against my leg in the same spot every time. So, you know, um, do I think it's possible that something's down there, um, potentially a tulpa or an egregore, something that is just attached to an item um, because there was belief around it? Yeah, I think I think there's a possibility. Um, but we haven't had anything. We have no blood, you know, dripping down the walls. Nothing's flying off shelves or anything. Um, just just little spooky things that happen here and there. Cool. Um, so going back to your first story there, I yeah. do paranormal investigation myself. Uh, and I'm also a big fan of the Estes method. Um, yes. So Kelvin made reference in the interview I did with him that he's witnessed uh, you and your friend having back and forth with, you know, using the Estes method, having a, almost a conversation. Sure. Uh, what are your thoughts on back and forth conversations using the Estes method? Do you think it's profoundly paranormal? I... I'm not sure. I, I don't know if it's, you know, when, when we do it, we are completely apart. We cannot see each other, cannot hear each other. Um, do I think it's possible that if you go into an investigation with people that you have a profound connection with, it could be some kind of psychological response or something like that? I do think it's possible. Um, on the flip side, if we're looking at the belief spectrum of things, it could be the case that if you have a profound connection with somebody, um, you could channel better. Um, you know, there's more of a bond and I don't know, like a stronger connection that could be established doing it. Um, I, I do know that we've gotten full sentences with each other before, um, which is rare, but it happens and it's very scary when it happens. Um, so I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I try to go into it like with like a scientific brain. Um, I think it could be either answer at this point, either psychological or there's like a profound connection. Cool. Um, and obviously going back to the collection in your basement, yeah. what's your favorite or, you know, a couple of your favorite items from the collection? Oh, this is a good question. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I'm curious what Calvin said, but there is a jar that came into our collection. I would say when we first got together, so this is about almost three years ago now, um, it's considered to be a witch jug, uh, kind of like a spell jar, okay? Um, came into the house and it stunk. And immediately I was like, okay, this is baneful magic. If, if it smells like this, there's probably something in there that you don't want to drink. Um, it had black wax was sealed with an animal tooth it was it was hot to the touch because it had like a chemical reaction had happened um and it just gives off this like eerie presence so it's something really fascinating to have in the house um i would say that one um <laughs> there is a there is a talking board that came into the house a handmade one um gave me the spooks the first time it came in um our animals started freaking out i freaked out i was like this has to go in the basement and now it's uh now it is one of my favorite items because it has like a story to it mm -hmm. so i would say those two for okay. sure cool what are your thoughts and views on 
Ouija boards, the history of Ouija, um, you know, that sort of spirit communication? Yeah. Well, um, I don't want to poo-poo on anyone's beliefs, obviously, um, but there is a scientific method behind it. Um, they have proven that people's eyes do move to the letter before they move on the board. Um, obviously, I do believe you can channel with it in a sense. Um, people believe that they're like antennas and they can pick up messages from it. And I'll never, like I said, I'll never poo-poo on that belief. But I do believe that because there is a scientific method that has proved that it does work, it is your um, subconscious, it's like a psychological response, I'm less inclined to believe that that is a reliable tool, especially if you're doing an investigation, a seance, or anything like that. Um, so that's kind of where I stand with it. Okay. Um, so I did see a theory sort of related to that, which sure. was that obviously the one and the sort of the use of the Ouija board, even though it may not necessarily be legitimate itself, it's almost a ritual in itself trying to summon something. I, I'm i inclined to believe that, yes, there is some credibility to that. Um, I, I think that a lot of people forget when you initiate something of that nature, you're putting power into it. You're giving a piece of yourself and you're asking for a response. And there is a there is a very real possibility that, you know, you could elicit a paranormal response from it. So do I think that everyone who has utilized a talking board, Ouija board, spirit board, um, do I think that they are lying or disillusioned? No, I think it's their reality. If they've had a profound experience, we can't take that away from them. Um, I just personally, I've never had a profound experience using a board, you know, so you can only speak from your perspective. Okay, perfect. Um, so are there any sort of other paranormal or supernatural sort of entities or stories that you have interest in? You know, it's ironic. I always am so fascinated when people talk about dolls and there being, uh, you know, an attachment or a possession. Specifically, Robert the doll has always fascinated me. We have a painting done by Robert the child. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so there's like a connection there. I just have always been so curious as to whether or not, um, I guess it ties into poltergeist per se, when a child, young teen um, is experiencing hormonal changes, you usually see poltergeist activity. Could it be possible that this is why these attachments, you know, go into these dolls that children own? I'm not sure, but I've always been curious about the science behind it and, and why it happens. So a few years ago, I actually bought a haunted doll online. Um, yeah. Which purely because I was looking through them and just generally sort of browsing and i stumbled across one and the background of it was so it was a apparently the spiritual attachment of a child who drowned after falling into a river um but apparently the river was relatively close to my house like it was you know less than an hour away um sure so it was sort of a just randomly scrolling the internet and finding that it almost i guess called out and it was a i kind of need to get that just to see, yeah, yeah, you know, if nothing else. Um, and I guess since it arrived, there have been a couple of little things that have happened. There have been a yeah. couple of like late nights where I've been working on, you know, content or doing something, 
uh, and I've just had like a giggle in the background. Oh, and it, it, it's sort of a, it's one of those things because obviously there's no actual evidence of it. It's one of those, did I hear that? Am I tired? You know, yes. It, which I think is with a number of paranormal sort of claims. It's a context of when it happened, where it happened, etc. Yeah. I I totally agree. Yeah, but yeah, so I think the definitely the um, attachment to dolls and that is interesting and yeah, yes, definitely it's weird. Very fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know, are there any dolls in the basement? Do you know? Are there many haunted dolls down there? So there is a doll. Um, we were given it. What happened was one of Calvin's friends that he has known for many years said, this person has a doll, okay, that comes with a rocking chair. It is an antique doll mm -hmm. and they don't like it. Something happened. We want to get rid of it. And of course, Calvin was like, oh my gosh, we'll take it. You know what I mean? Because we're like the island of misfit toys over here. Um, we bring it home and... I got to tell you, ever since we brought it home, um, we don't really tell people, obviously, too much information about the items unless they ask. Um, but ever since we brought it home, when people come visit, I do find that people tend to say that they are having an experience or they heard something, you know. So whether or not this doll is the reason, I can't say. Um, but does it add to the atmosphere of spookiness? Um, yes, she's humongous. That's probably the reason why. Cool. So again, on the haunted doll thing, are you aware of the island of the dolls down in Mexico? Oh yeah, that is very spooky. <laughs> yeah. Are you a fan? What are your thoughts on that? Are you a fan? Would you want to go there? Well, would I want to go there? Yes, I think it would be fascinating just to see something like that. Um, you got to think there. I believe other people started contributing to it once the gentleman who was doing it passed away. Mm -hmm. um, with the concept that someone took so much time and effort to do something, um, you know, as a, it was like a memorialization, essentially. Um, wasn't there a child who passed away? Yeah, and that's so, kind of what uh, it... yeah, a young girl, I believe, drowned in the sort of surrounding canals uh, yeah. of this man-made island. And the guy that owned it, I think his name was Don Julian. Um, he, You're right. <laughs> he found her body. Um, and yeah, it was a... He was sort of, I think he was that traumatized by it. And then not long after, he started seeing and hearing sort of, I think what he said were spirits and screams from the canals and around the island. Uh, and then in the spot where he found the body, not long after, he found the first doll floating in the, the water. Doll. And that obviously was the first doll. And since then, he's been, or up until his death, I believe he was adding dolls to appease the spirit. And obviously now other people are doing it. Yeah, yeah. I I do think that when you have a certain level of grief and trauma attached to something, I've always said it's quite possible that because we give off pheromones and hormones when we're scared or anxious or, you know, anything like that, I I think in an area where someone is collecting those things to deal with their trauma and grief, I think that something could materialize and other people could have experiences because of that. Um, like in haunted houses, for instance, we all give off those fear hormones and it makes people more scared. Um, so I do think that in a situation where there has been a death and somebody's dealing with their grief, it's possible for people outside of the situation to also have an experience. Mm -hmm. But to almost, yeah, like you said, to almost influence them. And, yes. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, a question that I've just sort of thought up on the spot here. Yeah. If you were to have to haunt an item, um, <laughs> you know, going forward, you have to be attached to a singular item and have to haunt an item. Would you have an item in mind that you would pick? Oh, goodness. Yes. Um, so I obviously, on the side, I ha- I'm a collector. I do collect um, vintage and antique Dracula and vampire related toys, handmade items. Um, I do have a vampire uh, jack in the box that pops out and has a little stake on it. That's what I would be using. Uh, I would be popping out and spooking people as much as possible if if I had to choose an item. Cool. That is a pretty cool uh, thing. So <laughs> in your, obviously, as a collector of uh, Dracula related items, would that be your favorite item in your collection? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, it's, it's so hard to say because each thing has its own life. Um, you know, I have hand puppets that were made in Venezuela and Argentina that are vampires, you know what I mean? And they just are so unique. Um, if I'm being honest with you, I think one of my favorite pieces um, is actually a photograph. I have three of them from different years, but they're all of donating blood at blood drives. And I think that the comedy of it, um, you know, like the irony, mm-hmm. makes them my favorite pieces. Okay, perfect. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of the questions I had for you there. Um, so I think the final thing I want to ask is, what would you say is your eventual sort of paranormal and supernatural goal? Hmm. Well, I would say in regards to spirits and ghosts, the goal would be to, I guess, give myself some closure as to what it means to be alive and if there is actually an answer um, as to what happens after after we go, um, or at least it's just some kind of peace of mind. Um, in regards to supernatural things, you know, beyond spirits, I think just just knowing, um, you know, that we're not crazy and, and, and wanting to believe these things, I think that would ultimately be the goal. Um, or just to give people some peace of mind, like you can sleep better at night knowing that these things were created by people um, just to just to scare you. You know, it's they're just stories and fables. So I think that's where I stand. Good. One last question that I've sort of got to ask here. Um, obviously, being with Kelvin, you're mm-hmm. very, I think, I guess, heavily into the paranormal. Obviously, yeah. uh, tarot reading, etc. Um, and obviously, he's very skeptical. <laughs> how how does that work? Do you disagree on things like that, or is it quite, you know, is it quite a smooth? um thing with that i it depends on the topic honestly um you know calvin will admit that he's had things happen that he can't explain obviously um he boils it down to synchronicities and chance and and like um he always, he's always says you know it's a statistic it's a statistical error you know like that kind of thing um the only things we really kind of butt heads on um is is usually about spirit communication um he he vehemently believes that um when you go you go that's it um whereas i believe that you know when you go 
I don't know if there is like a heaven and hell kind of situation. Um, I would like to believe it's more of like a collective energy, like, you know, whatever, uh, romanticizing that idea. Um, so that's really the only time we butt heads. Um, other than that, when it comes to my personal practice, he's very supportive. Um, you know, he'll get readings and, and they're usually, he says that they're accurate, obviously. Um, but that, like I said, it's, very few times are we kind of at odds with each other about things. Cool. I think, yeah, I think that was something I covered in my interview with him is that he's a very different type of skeptic to a lot of skeptics you meet. Whereas yeah. I think a lot yeah. of a lot of skeptics sort of try and put you down, you know, drive you down, and yeah. are very negative towards those that believe. Um, I'm inclined. He's obviously much more open, much more willing to listen to experience things. Yeah, you know, he always says, like, do I want the walls to bleed? Yes, like, I am well, I hope I welcome this. Um, but I think that because, um, you know, he came from a very Catholic household, was very terrified of God growing up. And then all of a sudden, it was like the, the wall dropped for him. And then it was like nothingness. Um, I think he finds a hard time um, allowing himself to I don't know, believe that something could be paranormal when he's experiencing it, but he is the type of person who um, he always says, like, this is their reality, and I can't take that away from mm -hmm. them. So that's very different to how a lot of skeptics yeah. operate. Okay, perfect. That brings us to the end of all the questions I have there. Is there anything else you want to add? Not particularly. I, I'm so grateful that we got to do this. Cool, perfect. Uh, thank you for joining me, and yeah, hopefully I'll chat to you again at some point in the future. Once again, I'd like to give a big thank you to Jules for joining me for this. You can check her out on social media at The Hex Baby. I'll put her links in the description down below on the YouTube version of the podcast. And for now, I've been Scott from Tepper's Paranormal, and I'll see you in the next episode.